It's time to talk sports. It's Hacksaw's Headlines, a panorama of the world of sports. Stories, comments, and opinions. Now, here's iconic sports talk show host Lee Hacksaw Hamilton and co-host John Riley. It's a Thursday up and down the West Coast. Who wants to talk sports? We do. Good afternoon, everyone. This is Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, along with my co-host, John Riley, and we welcome you to our weekly podcast. John, we've got a ton of topics on the table. Is this a busy time of the year? <laughs> we've got baseball pennant races, the start of the NFL season. Everybody's playing college conference football games. Awful lot to talk about. Before we get started, tell everybody who's watching us on our live stream about the unique way they can get involved with our podcast each day. Yeah, so the the fans forum, we'll take your comments, your questions. If you're watching the live stream on YouTube or on Facebook, just type in your your comment right there in the chat. We'll see it on the screen um, and just keep loading them up. If you've got questions throughout the podcast, at the end of the podcast episode, we'll go into the fans forum segment. And then that's when you can interact with Hacksaw and get your questions answered. John, let's talk about NFL football because we are now headed to week four of the season and the dominoes are starting to fall. Some good, some surprising, some bad, and bad injuries around the league. Pick a team. What do you want to talk about? I mean, it was a disaster. <laughs> some of the games were ugly. And you, like you say, the, the injuries and the Chargers, I mean, they. we were talking about them last time. The, the fact that they had the injury with the quarterback, but they really struggled. Chargers, they got a problem. Uh, Brandon Staley's got a problem. Do you know his record since last December is 2-5? and five. They've lost five of their last seven games dating back to the end of last season and their start this season. League, I think, has caught up to some of the creative stuff that Brandon Staley did. That's an issue. The quarterback got hurt. That's an issue. And then they got devastated last week, losing their left tackle, Rashawn Slater, for the year with a torn bicep, losing Joey Bosa for maybe most of the year with a torn groin. And they've got a whole bunch of other nagging injuries. John, they got 14 weeks left in the regular season, and they have an injured quarterback that's not at 100%. And I don't care what Brandon Staley says. They lost the most important offensive lineman they had. They lost their best pass rusher. They don't have their hyper price cornerback yet, J.C. Jackson, who has been slow to recover from this preseason ankle procedure, and now the fact that they played him, and he seems to have had a setback there. Uh, they got two road games in a row. They go to Houston, then they go to Cleveland. Uh, Brandon Staley's got his hands full. He's trying to rationalize a lot of different things as to whether Justin Herbert should have been allowed to play at maybe 70% capacity last week, whether he should have let him stay in the game when they were down by 28 points and getting their doors blown off, and what is he going to do? What is he going to do at left tackle? Who's going to be the defensive end? Those two guys, the loss of Slater, the loss of Bosa, huge setbacks for the team. And I maintain he mishandled J.C. Jackson, John. You know, that that New England Patriot, big money free agent, started to have problems with his ankle. I don't know whether it was a cyst. It was not structural. But he had problems with the ankle. They went in. They cleaned the wound. He didn't practice for two weeks. Then he did a walkthrough. He had one day of actual ramped-up practice. He played 37 snaps, and he hasn't been the same since, and he hasn't played since. So I think Staley and his people have to be held accountable for the handling of the J.C. Jackson situation. A lot of questions about Justin Herbert. Uh, Herbert's wearing a heavy flak jacket. 
Herbert, I believe, has taken the painkilling injection. Most everybody who gets those type of injuries does. But, John, the big issue with that type of injury, this is not an overnight thing that gets healthy. This is going to linger four to six weeks. We don't know that because he's refused to answer questions, uh, how many ribs and how, how much rib cartilage was damaged. Was it one rib? Was it three ribs? Going to take a long time. Credit to the player, he wants to be on the field. But if he's not 100%, John, does it not put your team at a real disadvantage? I don't think I would have played him last week. I would have played Chase Daniel. Maybe they would have been able to win with Chase Daniel because they would have run the whole 100% of the playbook. I don't think they got anywhere near doing what they want to do because of the Justin Herbert injury. I think there were limitations. That's my take, but, boy, they are really badly banged up. Your take? I mean— it's interesting because, I mean, I don't want to wish any injury on anybody, obviously, but it just seems that the Chargers always have this like a cloud hanging over them, that they're, they always have these high expectations. They've got a great roster on, on paper, but they just get bitten by the voodoo, you know, that sometimes they always seem to find a way to lose when they should be winning. Last year, last year, the right side of the offensive line was decimated, right guard, right tackle. It really impacted the kid quarterback, although he worked his way through it. Uh, last year, they did not have much of a power running game. Austin Eckler finally got that game going. Now their problem is at the left tackle, the most important spot in the offensive line, and they can't run the football. They, they are almost last in the NFL in running the football. And they do have Austin Eckler, and they do have Sonny Michelle. Maybe they're going to change some pieces there. Josh Kelly is more of a physical runner, but he has a history of fumbles. What are they going to do at running back? So they, they are not a complete football team right now, which is a shocker from where you and I were with them emotionally. Yeah. First week of the season. And Brandon Staley's 2-5 and five as a head coach. <laughs> Think about that number. That's just awful. Well, how, what a bright light he was the first— Half of last season, it all seemed to catch up to him. Well, what about, I mean, Bosa, a groin injury. I mean, that could that could take a long time. I mean, they're saying six to eight weeks, but it could conceivably take him out the whole year, right? Well, they've said no. They think he'll be back towards the end of the season, but that's that's way down road. And they don't have legitimacy and depth in the pass rush department. They will play Chris Rumpf who is only a part-time player. Now he's going to have to be an NFL starter. And because he's not a game-changer... That means on the other side, they'll double-team Khalil Mack. So now if you're not getting there with either Rumpf or Mack who's getting double-teamed, that means blitz package. Now, that's sure, <laughs> that, that might mean Derwin James. But that means you're going to have single coverage leaving those cornerbacks naked in the, in the secondary. So Chargers got real issues. What helps them is they're playing a downtrodden Houston team mm-hmm. uh, that is 30th in the NFL in offense. Then they go play Cleveland. But those, those won't be easy games considering how many people they don't have on the roster. So that's the storyline on the Bolts. You've got another AFC West team you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, we got to talk about the Raiders. I mean, I was watching that game, uh, and they, they played in Tennessee, and they just dug a hole early, and they they kind of got up to the, the opportunity to tie it at the end, and it just fell apart. His name is Josh McDaniels, and a lot was expected of him. He's inherited pretty good quarterback in Derek Carr. He inherited Devontae Adams, who they got as a free agent from Green Bay. He inherited Darren Waller. They're just not hitting on all cylinders. They don't have much of a power running game, even though number one draft pick Josh Jacobs is still there. Devontae Adams, who caught 10 balls the first game of the season against the Chargers, 
Last week had three catches. Darren Waller, big money tight end, three receptions last week. Hunter Renfro, the third receiver in the mix, coming off a brilliant season. He's got a concussion issue. So suddenly, that guy is really upset. That guy is really unhappy. That guy's got a bunch of problems. His offensive line, Josh McDaniel's offensive line is hard. They keep changing pieces in and out. I maintain right from the get-go, they didn't have enough players defensively. Look what's happened to them defensively up front. They got pedestrian linebackers. They got some athletes on the back end. They just don't have 11 quality players defensively on that side of the ball. And I think I I really believe people are doubling Devontae Adams. That's why his productivity has gone down. And I don't know that Derek Carr and the tight end and whatever else group of backup receivers they have can make a difference. There's they're 0-3, and they could get beat this week by Russell Wilson and Denver. They'll be 0-4. The season is effectively over. And I don't think any of us, at least I didn't expect this to happen to Josh McDaniels this, this early. I mean, you called this the best division in the NFL. And that's what it looked like at the start of the season. On but paper. On paper. But the Chargers are going down. The Raiders are going down. And Denver is an enigma uh, as as the columnist in the Mile High City are referring to Nathaniel Hackett, their coach, as a clown car head coach. They got so many issues in Denver with game management and play calling, and Russell Wilson doesn't look like vintage Russell Wilson right now, and I don't know if, if he woke up an old player or around them they don't have enough. I thought they would have enough. Or is it just the X's and O's coming out of Nathaniel Hackett's headset as he's calling plays? <laughs> Nothing seems to fit in Denver. So suddenly, as you said, John, we go from AFC West to two teams in the AFC West, Kansas City and now a battered Charger team, and two teams that haven't shown anything. Those guys, the Raiders and Nathaniel Hackett's Denver Broncos. I mean, yeah, the, the Bronco game against the 49ers was just a disaster. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's we're three games in, but it's looking tough for the Raiders, I'll tell you. Looking tough for the college football team in town. Uh, you got a question? You got a statement to make about San Diego State as they play Boise State in a unique Friday night game up there? Oh, I'm looking forward to that. But I'll tell you, the, it, that was another train wreck of a game to watch on TV last Saturday. They just couldn't move the ball. It was the most frustrating offense I've ever seen until at the, the last three minutes when Burmeister lit it up. Brady Hoke is the defensive specialist. As a head coach, he's a pretty good defensive coordinator. I don't think he teaches offense very well. I don't think he develops quarterbacks very well. John, there's 131 Division I teams in the nation. San Diego State's passing offense is ranked 130th. 130th. We live on the West Coast where everybody in high school football throws the football. We live on the West Coast where there's all these college quarterbacks in the transfer portal and they don't have maybe the right mix on the offense. Now, in defense of Brady Hoke, if, if he were here sitting with us, he'd be growling at us, the media, for our public stances. Mm-hmm. He's got three young offensive linemen who are trying to learn on the job, and it's really mm-hmm. been hard. And they got their brains beat in by Utah, and they got their brains kicked in by Arizona. He's got a, young, a veteran quarterback who I would have expected more from in terms of composure in Braxton Burmeister. But he's under – I mean, I asked Brady Tuesday at the press briefing – is the correct term for your quarterback under siege? And he looked at me with a glare and said, yes, 
Braxton Burmeister is under siege. So I don't blame the quarterback because I don't think he's got a lot of time to look down for his progressions. I don't blame the quarterback for putting it under his arm and scooting and running because he is a very fast quarterback. But when you run it as much as he's been forced to run it, he's going to get hurt. He's had two injuries in four games already. Now, their defense is getting better and better. They do have some people dinged up. I still think the defense will be their calling card, and they're going to have to win with their defense until the offensive line grows. Now, they go to Boise State for this unique Friday game on the carpet. Boise is in disarray. Boise is no longer what Boise State became. Mm -hmm. You and I both know that Boise State had a huge win years ago in the Fiesta Bowl. It was a long time ago. That was the Oklahoma game, right? It elevated the program. It really put them on the national map, and they had a good run when Chris Peterson was there. But now things have changed. They've not gotten the quality of player. They've had two coaching changes since. Uh, Chris Peterson left to go to the Pac-10, went to Washington, and then retired. Brian Harson replaced Peterson, did really well. And for some strange reason, Brian Harson bolted Boise State and went to Auburn. And he's on the endangered list. He's about to get fired. And now they hired another coach, and nothing seems to fit at Boise State. And to top all of it off, they fired their offensive coordinator on Sunday night. And then on Monday morning, after Tim Plow was fired, Hank Backemeyer the starting quarterback, three-year starter, yeah. quit. Oh, he has entered the transfer portal. So he is off the Boise State roster. So San Diego State's going to go in and face an offense now redesigned by Dirk Cutter. Cutter, former head coach Boise, spent 15 years in the NFL. Real smart guy, real creative guy. They do throw the football down the field. They're going to face a six foot six quarterback, Taylor Green. Highly recruited. Played a little bit in the first game of the season and did well against Oregon State. He is now the guy, and he's a very different quarterback than Hank Bachemeyer was. So Brady Hoke's got his own set of problems. Boise's got problems. I don't think anybody really knows what the Aztecs are walking into when they walk into that stadium at Boise State on Friday night. But we know this. Something's really changed at San Diego State. Whatever number of fans are coming to Snapdragon Stadium, they're booing. They don't like what they see offensively. And I understand that the Aztecs have won a ton of games in the Brady Hoke, Rocky Long, Brady Hoke eras, running the football and playing great defense. But what sells tickets? What excites the fans? What what enlightens the student body in the end mm-hmm. zone? Quarterbacks throwing the ball down the field. And the Aztecs haven't proven they can do it yet. So uh, we'll see if, if Burmeister settles in. We'll see if the three young pups in the offensive line grow. It's very tough to learn under fire. And he's got three of them trying to learn simultaneously. Uh, but the one calling card they do have at San Diego State, they got defense. And defense will probably win them some games. I still maintain the statement I made a week ago. You laughed at me. I said, <laughs> this defense gives them the ability to run the table. If they can run the football and play great defense, they could go unbeaten the rest of the year in the conference. But you can't do it. Well, you were appalled. I was shocked. They had 11 yards passing in the first half. Yeah. 11. 11 <laughs> yards, Division One program. So yeah. I'm a believer in Brady Hoke, but I don't know if Brady Hoke, the head coach, can teach offense, and that becomes a big issue. And now the fans have become very restless at that shiny new stadium. Well, so what, what do you do if you're Hoke? I mean, do you... Do you go with the playbook and maybe play conservatively, or do you go to the hurry-up offense and let Burmeister kind of create things like he did in the final three minutes of the game? Well, but that was—and again, I didn't ask this question. I wanted to, but I think I would have gotten bad 
bad gunfire in return. <laughs> the reason they won that game was that Toledo dropped seven into coverage. They, they were not going to give up a touchdown play, but in dropping seven into coverage, they allowed Burmeister to see this open field and have three big runs down the field to get him into scoring position. That was a mistake by Toledo. I was going to make a wise-ass comment that say, Brady, this is the earliest Christmas card you ever got in <laughs> September from Toledo's coach Jason Candle because Candle made the wrong decision. Right. I would have continued to pressure Burmeister and make him throw the ball. Instead, they dropped everybody deep, and it was all this open real estate. And Burmeister had the three big runs that got him down in close, and then it was a penalty, and then they scored the go-ahead touchdown. It was a nice comeback, take nothing away from the kids, but that was kind of an early Christmas gift. Okay, those are the big stories in football here on our podcast. Again, explain to everybody on the live stream about the Fans Forum, John. All right, so the Fans Forum, you can get involved if you're watching the live stream on Facebook or on YouTube. Just type your questions, type your comments. We're already seeing them coming in here on the screen. At the end of the podcast episode, Hacksaw will take your questions and comments in the Fans Forum. Final weekend of the baseball season is upon us. You want to talk about which team? The, the San Diego Padres. And, oh, my God, I watched the game last night, Lee. They went 10 innings and they didn't score a run. And uh, it was really frustrating. But I will say this. It's, they're looking like they're going to be in good shape for the playoffs. They're going to make the wild card spot. And the way this thing is structured right now, they're, they're going to finish in the second wild card position. The issue is if the, if the season ends the way it is in the standings at this hour, they're going to have to go play Atlanta. All three games in Atlanta, and Atlanta's having a spectacular season. But the one thing that's worked for the Padres is they're still getting a lot of quality starting pitching. You Darvish is probably going to wind up with 17 wins, maybe 18 wins if he gets another start or two before they get to postseason play, and he has been the anchor. Uh, Blake Snell has pitched really well yeah. and has elevated himself to number two. The only thing with Blake Snell is he's become a five-inning pitcher. You know, the last start, he threw 96 pitches in five innings, which is way too much. Yeah, way too much. Puts way too much pressure on your bullpen. Uh, Mike Clevenger's been really competitive. Won some games, has lost some games. His problem, like Snell, he's become a five-inning pitcher. So the big issue for the Padres is where are they going to get any quality starts aside from you, Darvish and Joe Musgrove? Joe Musgrove, though, has only two wins in his last 17 starts, dating back to before the All-Star game. Now, he goes out and he gives you everything he's got. And he does not have a lot of bad starts along the way, but he's not gotten the wins. He's probably had as many quality starts as you, Darvish, but he doesn't have a lot to show for it. So the Padres, Padres at the back end of their rotation going to postseason, they got an issue because Darvish can only make one start in the wild card round because it's a best of three series. So they're going to have to manage the final series against the White Sox and then against the Giants. So Darvish is ready to go, and then Snell and Musgrove are ready to go. Can they hit? Remains to be seen. Manny Machado is going to hit 300. I don't see anybody else that's red hot. Hakim has really cooled off. Uh, Juan Soto had a horrible stretch. Then went 7 for 15, but it's kind of drifted back. Uh, still waiting for Will Myers to show up and, and bring some power to the plate. Cronenworth uh, is hitting in the 240s. It just is not a lot of offense there. So, I mean, this pitching has gotten them this wild card position. This pitching is going to have to win them a game or two in Atlanta. And remember, it's a best of three series in the new format. 
and Atlanta gets all three of the games, and you look at Atlanta, how that team has come together despite a chunk of injuries, and the fact that Freddie Freeman left and went to the Dodgers, Atlanta has the best wild card record in baseball, and they really cause you a lot of problems, especially there on that Braves field. Yeah, well, I think there's a chance that the Braves might end up uh, surpassing the Mets, right? And winning the NFC, uh, the NL East, excuse me. Um, and then that kind of changes the, the whole complexion of the potential playoffs. But does it? Because if you have to go to City Field in New York, <laughs> yeah, you're that right. is Max Scherzer you're going to face. And DeGrom. And right. that is Jacob DeGrom. Right. And whomever they throw out there for the third game. And the Mets, Mets have pretty decent hitting. Here's a stat that will blow you away. If we get to postseason... Do you really want to know this? The Padres in postseason since 1998 in a World Series, 3-14. and 3-14. and And overall in the history of the franchise, the Padres are 14-26 and in postseason games. So there's not a great track record there, and this is not a great offensive baseball team. Be fascinating to see what happens, but we got the final six games of the regular season as they finish up this Dodgers series, and then they got to get their pitching staff, the Ducks, in order, and that guy, you Darvish, and I'd, I'd, I'd give him the ball first game of every series, because I just think he's, at, even at age 34, 35, 36, still think he's more reliable than anybody else. Yeah, no question about it. No question. Now, the other team. You want to talk about the other team? The other team <laughs> yeah. wearing blue. The the other team, the evil empire up in Los Angeles, the Dodgers. I mean, we were watching that game last night, and you know they roll out Urias, who's a great lefty. I mean, he's a heck of a pitcher. But it, it just seems like when every time the Padres play the, the the Dodgers, it's such a struggle to get ahead in the game or even to hold on to a tie. Um, they're just loaded at every possible position, and even last night in a pitcher's duel. We still came up short. So, As they play this final game of the series, as we do our podcast, the Dodgers have beaten the Padres 20 out of the last 24 games. Oh, man. They've done it with great pitching. They've done it with timely hitting. They've done it with guys that have come up with an odd big game and gotten them the victory. Uh, interesting stat. This guy in the dugout, Dave Roberts, the guy the Padres did not want to interview after A.J. Preller fired Bud Black. Mm-hmm. This guy has a career-winning percentage of 633. Dave Roberts is above Smokey Alston, Tom Lasorda, Charlie Dressen, who were the other great managers in the old Brooklyn Dodger, Los Angeles Dodger era. Mm-hmm. He has a higher winning percentage than all those guys. Now, granted, Smokey Alston managed for 24 years. Tommy, Tommy was more than a decade but his record is 649 and 377. Dave Roberts, mm-hmm. Dodger Stadium. Dave Roberts, the guy the Padres general manager did not want to interview. Right. Now granted, he's worked for an organization that's not afraid to spend money and pay luxury tax, etc. Dave Roberts pretty doggone good baseball man to keep this together and this run that they've had all these division titles and the fact that as good as anybody could be going back to the World Series again for a third time. But a lot of times, well, let's set the the 2020 season aside, the short season. The Dodgers have gone into the playoffs as the number one seed, or at least the number two, and they've had their struggles in the postseason. Clayton Kershaw hasn't pitched well, and a lot of there was a lot of heat on Dave Roberts for some of the moves that he yeah. made managing that pitching staff. Dodgers right now have a bit of an issue, and I know they have 107 wins already, and 
You know, they still have a bunch of games in the next week with the Rockies. I mean, they, they could finish with 112 wins, which is amazing. But the Dodgers have issues. The, you talked about Urias, who is now 31-10 and 10 over the last year and a half. Yeah, he's legit. Kershaw has a 2.42 ERA since coming off the disabled list a second time. Clayton Kershaw has pitched really well. But understand this. Dustin May is back on the disabled list with a minor back problem. They don't think he's going to be utilized as a starter. Tony Gonsolin, who is 16-1, has been dry docked because of a forearm issue for the better part of three to four weeks. Now, he's going to make a start next week. They don't know whether he's going to be in the rotation or whether they're going to have to baby him and make him as possibly a long reliever. Tyler Anderson has just been mystical. The left-handed pitcher has bounced all over the place, is having a career season. He might become their third starter. And there is no Walker Bueller. Uh, Dave Price has got a problem, chronic problems with his left wrist. He's still on the uh, disabled list. Uh, Blake Trinan came back, pitched twice, went back on the DL with shoulder woes. So their bullpen is a little bit iffy right now. Dave Roberts has indicated because of the ongoing problems with Craig Kimbrell, whom he can't trust, mm. it's going to be bullpen by committee uh, in the playoffs. They may have to use Kimbrell, but Kimbrell has already got six losses and six blown saves and an ERA over four, and he's no longer what he used to be. Is he that trustworthy? So the Dodgers, despite this phenomenal record, Dodgers got some pitching staff problems here as we go to postseason play. What what works for them, they get a buy because they have the best record in the National League and may wind up with the best record in baseball. There is no wild card week for them. So in that span of four to five days, Maybe that makes a huge difference in terms of Gonsolin's status or Dustin May's status going forward. So, you know, we've got another week to go in the baseball season. Dodgers are going to have some time to look at their blueprint and try to figure it out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to see how they're going to line up because last night when they were playing the game, we're in the late innings, and they roll these guys out of the bullpen. I've never even heard of them, and boy, they're they're lights out. They're getting our guys out. So they've got they've got there's something different about this team. Um, they were talking about it this morning on the radio where the the Dodgers, the the discipline of the hitters, the way they grind out at bats, the way they make you know starters like Musgrove and Snell work. Um, they've got a lot of different ways that they can win games, even if their 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 uh, relief pitching might be a little bit suspect. Things we know: Mookie Betts is a great player, unbelievable leadoff hitter. Things we know: Freddie Freeman is an MVP. Things we know: Trey Turner is hitting over three hundred at shortstop. Another guy that AJ Preller did not want to keep, and he traded him away to the Washington Nationals a year ago. Those are all givens, and then everything around those givens. Or the catcher, Will Smith, might be the best power-hitting catcher in baseball. The old dog at third base, Justin Turner, might not be hitting for average, but is still dangerous. Obviously, what they've got uh, in other positions that can hurt you. Cody Bellinger's become an enigma. He had dudes hitting two thirteen, but he can yank one out. Uh, you know, they're kind of in love with Joey Gallo from Texas, who either hits a home run or strikes out an awful lot. But he's still dangerous out there. And over the course of this last second half of the season, John, what we've seen is somebody steps up and wins a game for them. And it just doesn't have to be Mookie Betts or Freddie Freeman or Trey Turner. they got so many other guys that can hurt you in a given at-bat. And obviously, historically, the best pitching ERA in all of Major League Baseball. 
So Dodgers are going to be the team to beat and may have home field advantage through everything, including the World Series, which makes them even tougher at Dodger Stadium. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to the playoffs. It's like you were saying, we're in with, uh, a great time of the year for if you're a sports fan because the NFL, college football. I mean, October is really one of the best sports months of the year. October, roll that basketball out on the floor. This is the <laughs> opening week of training camps, John. And let's start with the teams here on the West Coast. You got opinions about that team, the L.A. Lakers. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers, it's interesting. We've talked about them in the last few weeks when they got Schroeder. They got Patrick Beverly. They're assembling their roster. And then, you know, we, we see here Palenka coming in you know, as the GM, who, by the way, looks just like Rob Lowe. Yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, these guys are spending a ton of money, just like the Dodgers. I mean, all these L.A. teams expect to win championships. Has has this GM put together the right roster? They tried a chemistry experiment that blew up in their face last year with a lot of veteran players, the Carmelo Anthony's, the Dwight Howard's of the world. It didn't work out. Of course, I mean, they were also sidetracked by the significance of the injuries to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. But the chemistry wasn't right. Well, now they've gotten rid of all those veteran guys with the exception of Russell Westbrook. Nobody wanted his $47 million contract. Westbrook is now being supported by two other guards that are come in here and push for playing time, maybe even push for a starting job. And, of course, they have a new coach in Darvin Ham. And the first words out of his mouth, you will play defense. Period, exclamation Good. point. You will be in that guy's face with a basketball. And that's that's what Patrick Beverly is all about. And that's that's obviously what Dennis Schroeder is all about. And, and Schroeder and Beverly can also run the offense. So not only will that maybe change the chemistry of the, the Lakers starting five, it's going to push Westbrook to excel, to try to find his game, to be what he used to be at Oklahoma City. Because, John, you and I both talked off the air that – he was Mr. Triple-Double. I mean, he was a dangerous player. Yeah, he was. Last year was horrific. Now, either he's going to get the message that he has to do everything Darvin Ham wants at both ends of the floor, or he's going to wind up sitting. Because if he doesn't compete and does not revert back to what he used to be offensively as well as defensively, he's going to sit there and he's going to watch Schroeder run the offense and Dennis can, and he's going to watch Beverly come off the bench and create mayhem with just his style of in-your-face defense. It'll be fascinating to see how the new coach actually extracts from Westbrook the greatness that Russell used to have. And they went out and they got a big body and Thomas Bryant, a center. He's not a name. He's not a star, but he's he's pretty competitive and he's pretty physical and he's big uh, in, in the paint. That's going to help Anthony Davis in terms of doing all the dirty work. And of course, you got LeBron, who's in the twilight of his career, but is still playing like a superstar. This, to me, is the last go round for the Lakers. If this chemistry experiment by bringing these guys in doesn't work. Next time we're talking about that guy, he's probably going to be unemployed as a general manager. But they stuck with him one more year. They uh, hit the exit button on Frank Vogel. They brought in Darvin Ham, who's got a pretty good reputation. He's a Greg Popovich guy from San Antonio. So we'll have to see what this chemistry experience looks like. But the general manager says, we are going to play, and we're going to play defense. And I expect these guys to win. On we go. So the Lakers, it's no longer showtime, right? No. I mean, they're going to be grinding it out. 
uh, playing defense, um, you know, maybe like what Brian Dutcher's trying to do with the Aztecs. So um, I'm, it's interesting to see if those superstars can morph, like you say, as they're in the, the twilight of their careers. And can these these other guys play the roles that are so necessary. Um, they have a chance to put it together, but you know, it's it, to a degree, it's like threading a needle. It's interesting because on paper, what they said at Media Day this week, Russell Westbrook was really the focal point of everything at Media Day, and his statement was, "I am here. I will fit in. We will make it work." Well, that's on paper. I need to see it on the court now. The other team in town, nobody's talking about it. I don't understand it because the other team in town. The Clippers, I think, are pretty good. Yeah, I'm. They've they have the guys. I mean, they have Paul George. Kawhi is back. They've got a lot of great role players on that team. I mean, how long has Kawhi been out? It's been over a season, right? He's had two major injuries. The one that chased him out of San Antonio, the torn quad. He missed a huge chunk of the season into the next season, and then last year, the torn knee ligament. He's got a lot of miles on that body, but they say he is completely recovered. He's totally healthy. So you got Kawhi and you got Paul George. And then I think a key acquisition that they made has not gotten a ton of coverage is the signing of John Wall, the ex-Houston Rocket, ex-Washington Wizard. Oh, yeah, that's he right. He was a real gamer. I forgot he was about a him. really good player. He averaged 19 points a game before he got hurt. Now, two years ago, he went down on the Achilles injury. It took him forever to get healthy. Last year, he did not play. There was a, a contract issue with Houston. They thought he was going to be traded. He was not dealt away. John Wall is back. He's in the final year of his contract, so he's playing for next year and going forward. But I'll tell you, Kawhi and PG are going to make John Wall a really complete basketball player. And it'll be up to Wall then to put up the kind of numbers that he needs. But they got toughness in Marcus Morris. They've got uh, mm-hmm. a really active backup center. Uh, the ex-Laker that I, I, I think is worth watching uh, to see what Zubika does. Uh, they've got young guys. Uh, they've got Nick Batum, an unrated, un- unheralded three-point shooter. You know, I could make the argument, and we'll argue about this through the basketball season, Clippers might have a better roster than the Lakers. I uh, think the Clippers uh, Clippers probably have better team chemistry than the Lakers I have agree. right now. And by the way, the Clippers have just kicked them from one end of the old Staples Center to another in about the last three years. So mm-hmm. uh, interesting to see. Kawhi's got to stay healthy, but if Kawhi can be who he has been with PG, and now John Wall is the real third bullet in the gun, I think the Clippers are a really good basketball team. Yeah, I mean, I find myself, this is kind of crazy, rooting for the Clippers, even though they burned us like the Chargers burned us Mm -hmm. in San Diego, right? But still, I always root for the Aztec players when they're in the NBA. Whether it's Kawhi, whether it's Jordan Shackle with the Wizards, or Malachi Flynn, or Jaden McDaniels. So... I'm a I'm a I'm a Kawhi fan, so indirectly I'm a Clipper fan. So I I'm looking forward to this season. I think it's going to be a great NBA season, and as long as the Clippers and the Lakers are both strong, and hopefully one of those two teams can go deep into the postseason, it's going to make the uh, the NBA playoffs next year fantastic. Okay, let's jump around real quick. We got other teams and other controversies around the NBA, and you go any part of the map you go to, but boy, there's a lot of stuff out there. Uh, yeah, well, we talked about the Suns, you know, um, in our last podcast, a lot of controversy in, in the Valley. They were shocked. Uh, the owner, Robert Sarver, is going to sell the team. A week ago this time, he had just been suspended for one year, fined $10 million for a toxic workplace culture that he 
promulgated. He caused. Uh, the league took him out for one year. The immediate response came from minority owners that said he must sell the team. And then Chris Paul dropped hints. If he is still the owner of the team, we're not coming to camp. That insinuation. Then the union got involved. Adam Silver met with Robert Sarver, who had been suspended early last week. And I was told the, the statement was, you must sell this team right now or otherwise the Board of Governors, all the other owners, will call for a vote and you will be expelled from the National Basketball Association. There was no middle ground. There was no I'm sorry. There's no chance of reconciliation. Adam Silver, I think, is the one that drove this deal through to get Sarver uh, to make the change. Uh, from a, a chemistry standpoint, they were shocked. Monty Williams could not believe the depths of the toxic culture situation that existed. The players were horrified when they found out that Robert Sarver had used the N-word multiple times in dealing with non-basketball employees, all the people that worked in the front office. Um, you know, if you're a firm believer that money and power corrupts, this is a prime example of what happens. Sarver is gone. Monty Williams, the coach, who has done a great job making this a good franchise, he's got all these pieces in place. Now he's just got to set Sarver aside, get these guys to do what they did last year. But that's not the only controversial spot in the NBA. Yeah, I mean, there's we're one crisis in Phoenix. we got another one in, in Boston. The coach suspended for a year. I don't think he'll ever coach again. Nami Udoka. Uh, this, this guy has a great reputation. He took a team at the end of the last season and went 25-7. and seven. He drove them with his personality to the, through the NBA playoffs. They were within two games of winning the whole championship, mm-hmm. and that was a team that was riddled by injuries. He got them to play together, got them to play hard, got them to play defense and play a system. Well, he got involved with a relationship with a female employee that went on and on. He's married and got kids, and this was going on. The story had been out there. The Celtics evidently said this violates the foundation of the way we run our franchise. In order, it was like a cease and desist order. Never happened. More problems than it. Then it became a relationship that involved bullyism. Hmm. And the woman then raised an issue with the organization. So they hit the eject button on him real quick after they did an investigation. And those players were just shell-shocked. Jason Tatum and and uh, Brown and Robert Williams. And, and they just could not believe because they had responded so very well to Udoke's leadership capabilities. Now now they've got an, a longtime assistant coach who's never been a head coach who's going to try to guide them through this. Uh, the, the Celtics are trying to hire a veteran assistant coach who's out on the open market. And the name that just surfaced in the last 24 hours was Frank Vogel, Mm. former Lakers and former Indiana coach, who still got good credentials despite what happened with the Lakers. So Boston is in real turmoil. And I emailed with one of the Celtic writers. He said he had never been to a media day or a press conference uh, this past Monday, never been to one, and he's covered the game for a decade plus, in which there were no smiles and there were no jokes. Everybody was solemn. The players are just absolutely stunned that their head coach was removed from the franchise. I mean, it, this is the world of Me Too, right? Yep. And, and you think that these these leaders, these leaders of young men would step up and, and be an example. And it's just a real shame to see this happen. 
And if that's not enough, then we got the other team on the eastern seaboard that's embroiled in controversy. And who knows where this is going to wind up, because whatever they say today probably is not what they're going to say tomorrow if they try to explain what they did yesterday. Go ahead. You talk about these guys. I mean, so much drama with the Brooklyn Nets. And, and you know, they put together that, that big three, and that whole thing blew up. And, I mean, is Ben Simmons playing for them now, I think? And, and he's got a lot of drama around him. I mean, what's going on with Brooklyn? Brooklyn Nets, Kevin Durant. He was the one that said, I'm tired of this. I want to go to a winning culture. I want to be traded. He met with the owner, Joseph Tsai. He told the owner, this general manager and this coach have to go. Joseph Tsai turned around and retook control of his franchise and said, this is my coach. This is my general manager. And by the way, you have four years left on your contract. We're not making a trade. They could not get what they wanted. They wanted an absolute ton in any trade for Kevin Durant. So Durant has acceded to what the owner wants. He is staying. Durant made all these comments about championship culture. We're going to do this. We're going to develop that. Well, that didn't happen last year. So that's player problem one. I think there's a better chance that Kevin Durant will toe the line and have another great season than the next guy. And the next guy is Kyrie Irving. Mr. Me, Myself, and I. And Kyrie Irving, who bailed on his last two teams, has been embroiled in a lot of controversy, refused to get a vaccination, went on the open market. Nobody wanted to touch him because he was so toxic. So then at at media day, He just says, I just want you people to know what I did for this team. I stayed here. Well, nobody wanted him. He said, I gave up probably $100 million in contract. Well, that's because you refused to have a vaccination. (laughs) Right. He's had so many issues every place he's been. There's no doubt that Kyrie Irving is a tremendous guard, talent, Cleveland, etc. But he keeps getting traded because he keeps creating problems. So that's problem player number two. And then problem player number three that you just alluded to is Ben Simmons. It's a bright young talent, a lot of issues over his mental health, his working relationship with coaches, what happened in Philadelphia last year when he lost $21 million in salary because he refused to meet with the front office, refused to undergo mental health evaluation. And he wound up getting traded to Brooklyn, given away to Brooklyn, and then he shows up at Brooklyn and hurts his back and had to have a procedure, a surgery. So he's hardly played basketball in the last two years, and he's the question is, good player? Well, once upon a time he was. question is, this mental health thing, what's this going to do to him? His relationships have been really rocky with his teammates in Philly, which had a really good team, and obviously in Boston because he was not, not around last season. Uh, who knows? You know, he's saying one thing, but there's a track record of history that says something really bad. So we roll the NBA basketball out on the floor. A couple of weeks from now, we'll start the season. And those are the teams to keep an eye on for a lot of different reasons. And we'll talk more about that as we go. Now, before we go to the final topics on the table, I remind our people on our live stream about the Fans Forum. Well, the, the, the lines are already uh, filling up here, Lee. So we've got the Fans Forum. It's going to start just you know, at the very end of our podcast where we'll take your questions and comments. If you're following us on Facebook or on Twitter, uh, not Twitter, well, on we are on we're live streaming on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube, but you can type in your comments on Facebook and YouTube and we'll see those on our screen. And at the end of the podcast, uh, Lee will take your questions and comments. OK, we have two other stories we're going to address real briefly. And I guess I'd use the word surprise stories because I never would have imagined this happened. Pick one of those names you want to talk about. I mean, I, I saw the names there and it was it was Jimmy Johnson is on the list today. San Diego, a tremendous career in NASCAR. Uh, seven-time champion, uh, went to IndyCar, 
has driven for two years for Chip Ganassi Racing. First year ran only road races, didn't do very well. Steep, steep learning curve. Last year, this past 22 season, uh, they allowed him to run on super speedways. He got progressively better and better. He crashed a bunch of times, but he could handle the kind of speed on Indianapolis, Texas Motor Speedway, etc. His contract was up. It was only a two-year deal with Ganassi. Ganassi wanted to keep him. Jimmy Johnson has a major sponsor, Carvana. They decided to stay with him, despite the fact Statistically, financially, he's not dominated. They're going to stay with him. Jimmy Johnson went home to Colorado at the end of the IndyCar season and said, I don't like this. Uh, The demands on him to learn and to take part in 17 races, really steep. He had some success. He had a lot of frustrations. He just announced this week he's stepping away from IndyCar racing. And what he's going to do, he's going to continue his sponsorship. He's going to try to sell himself for elite events. He wants to run the Indy 500. Maybe it will be with Ganassi, who he has a good working relationship with. He'd bring the Carvana sponsorship for maybe that one big race. Uh, he might dabble in, at Daytona. He might go back to NASCAR for one elite event, whether that's the Daytona 500 or Talladega 500. He'd take the sponsor with him there. He is exploring. He wants to run 24-hour Le Mans in France. Really? He's got to find a team that would bring him in. He'd have to go through all the testing. He, But he walks in the front door with a sponsorship. Mm-hmm. Corvana's going with him there. And now he's talking also about running the 24-hour Rolex Daytona race. He's big into endurance races. He, he li- He's fascinated by IMSA road races. So I was stunned because he was making progress in IndyCar racing last year. I mean, he had he led the Indy 500 for a group of laps and then all got caught up in, in pit stops. And he did really well in a couple of other races, finished as high as sixth in one race. But he also crashed out a bunch of times, car broke a couple of times. He, he just did not like the pressure of learning how to race a 17-race circuit. He had no downtime at all. NASCAR, he knew everything about NASCAR. Get in the car and you go. Mm-hmm. Indy is a whole different thing because it's oval, it's high speed, it's road courses, it's street courses. He just struggled with a whole bunch of things. So that, to me, is a real surprise that he's stepping away. He will run, quote, elite events. Great champion. But it shows you how tough auto racing can be because you can't go from – it's not like it, being in the American League and going to the National League in no. baseball. It, this is a whole different landscape, and he struggled with it. Well, I mean, he's accomplished so much in NASCAR, and it's kind of neat you know, if he's going to dabble with all these different types of racing categories. But let me ask you, what do you think about F1 racing? I mean, that's starting to come to America, and that's the dominant uh, you know, auto sport in Europe. Uh, maybe – Jimmy Johnson, maybe he's going to dabble there. What do you think? Well, it's awful tough to go get a license from FIA, Formula One's governing body. Prime example, IndyCar driver Colton Herta, who's had a really good career here in IndyCar. He's the son of a longtime Indy 500 driver, Brian Herta. Colton Herta applied for an F1 license. They did not give it to him. Mm. Uh, He says, you need more experience over here. And that means you need experience in Formula 2 or Formula 3. you got to prove yourself in the lower divisions of F1 to get the license to become an F1 guy. I don't think they give it to Jimmy because he's got very little road racing experience. And he might dabble, but I don't think, you know, who's going to hire him? And to do that, 
you got to be there. You got to live in England. You got to live in France. You got to test all the time mm -hmm. uh, because that that learning curve is is even steeper than the learning curve of going to Indy 500. So I don't th I don't think we'll see him in F1. Now the other story. Wow, this this is a bit of a surprise, and going forward, now there's huge question marks everywhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm getting excited about World Cup. We're like, it's going to be in November, right? So we're like about four or five weeks away. Um, this is always a great time uh, to bring the world together, and it's going to be, is it in Dubai this time? Qatar. In Qatar. So, uh, yeah, I mean, w what's going on with the team? Greg Berhalter... Final two friendly games, final preparations for the World Cup in Qatar. They got shut out by Japan 2 nothing, and they went nil-nil, nothing-nothing, Saudi Arabia. It was stunning because he had all of his players who came back. They were part of the U.S. men's roster for these last two friendlies, and they played miserable. Uh, it's absolutely stunning because Berhalter has done such a great job transitioning for what was a very old team to a much younger team. It's obviously led by the tremendous American uh, uh, Christian Pulisic, but they played terrible against Japan. There was no flow. There was no rhythm. There was no attack. They had no shots on goal against Japan. 90 minutes, None? no shots on goal. They just looked disjointed. They looked terrible in that game. Then they came back against Saudi Arabia, nil-nil, uh, very little offense, and they had all their starters back on the field. Pulisic played in that second friendly. Nothing happened. Uh, Ricardo Pepe played in that second game. Nothing happened. Wes McKinney played in that second game. So now there's huge questions about where are they from a mental standpoint in terms of what Burhalter wants to run? Where are they from a physical standpoint? Are most of their guys healthy? Goal, goalkeeping could be a problem because they've had some injuries back on the back end. But, boy, they played so Poorly. And that, that to me is just a real shock considering the great job he's done for 18 months to get him qualified. Mm -hmm. uh, but they have won. I think, I think the number is they are one, two, and three in their last six friendlies since they qualified for the World Cup. Have only one win. Out of six games. Out of six, out of six friendly matches that they've played. So mm -hmm. there's work to be done to make this chemistry come back together. Uh, Berhalter's not in danger of getting fired. But there's just huge question of why all of a sudden this thing looks so disjointed. Nothing seems to flow. Where's the firepower? Where's the play and the buildup at midfield to get these guys into the attacking zones? It, not, it's not what we had seen prior as they stormed their way through uh, to qualify for the World Cup. So this story bears watching as we go to October and then obviously to they begin the tournament to, at Qatar in November. So who do you who's the favorite going into this tournament? Are we looking at the same powerhouses of Brazil, of Germany, of the Netherlands? Bingo, you hit it all. I think the other the other talking point to keep an eye on is what's going to happen south of the border. Tato Martino, the coach at Mexico, is under enormous fire. They played horrible, and their general manager resigned. Martino tried to quit; they would not let him quit. Collectively, Mexican side looks so fractured. And I don't understand when you've got a great player with Mexican heritage, why Chicharito, Javier Hernandez, is not on that roster. I don't care about his personal relationship with Martino, the head coach. He's got 17 goals in MLS playing for LA Galaxy. And Chicharito is not on Team Mexico as they go to the World Cup. Hmm. How is that possible? 
Um, and it's awful late now to make a coaching change as ragged as, as L Tree has been. You can't make a coaching change three, four weeks before the start of the World Cup, but maybe that's what has to happen. Maybe somebody will mediate some settlement that will allow Javier to leave the Galaxy to come play in a World Cup. Why is he not playing for their colors? It just shocks me. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, I mean, it's fun following the Mexican team as well, you know, here being here in San Diego. I mean, just during that time of the year, it's just you, everyone gets fired up, you know. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, but the the United States team needs to make a run of some kind, but given the disappointment of the last cycle. So when we were talking World Cup last time, you were concerned about the defense. Now you're concerned about the offense. I mean, this the timing is not good. Well, they've got people they can put in place to make this work. They've got to run the system. They've got to make it work. Uh, it's going to be hard. But the, the key is get through the group, period, exclamation point. No, no discussion on that. Get through the group, and then you get into the knockout round, and you take your chances, be it Brazil, be it Spain, be it Germany, uh, be it the Italian side. So fascinating to see. Okay, let's go to Fans Forum. What have you got posted here? What do these fans want to ask? All right, we got a bunch of comments here, Lee. So um, uh, <laughs> here's uh, Randy Briggs on, on the live stream. Just, you know, it's they love you, Hacksaw. Hey, Randy, I want to hear from you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. And we're here most every Thursday on live stream. And then obviously what all of the fans and the fans forum can do is text, email and tweet all your followers and introduce them to our podcast and my website, I write on it day in, day out. Randy, thanks for joining us. Hope you'll be with us every Thursday when we live stream. All right, we got something here from from Neil. He says, um, "Saw you, you already." What does he say here? Saw. Oh yes, yeah, saw. Did you already do the best fifteen minutes in sports talk anywhere? All the time. That's that's what I call it. That's a name that is stuck, and we do that to a degree on our podcast. But I do have the best fifteen minutes in sports on my website. It's all written. When you need to know, I have the info. Every day. We post it late in the evening, like about 10 p.m. It's there late in the evening. It's late. It's there in the morning when you wake up. Uh, but if you like sports, you'll know everything there is in the world of sports with the best 15 minutes in radio. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. Well, Neil's got a couple more Padre questions here. How does last year's collapse compare to the one in the 2000s with the young gun Matt Latos? Well, were the Padres that good in the Latos era? I don't know. They were getting good, obviously. The, the Caminetti era, the Kevin Brown era, a lot was expected of Latos. And he did pretty well for a couple of years. Then he kind of plateaued out. And I was stunned. I mean, I got a text. I was shopping at the supermarket. And I got a text that the Padres were about to trade Matt Latos to Cincinnati. And I said, what? And and they did. But he kind of flamed out there. Then he had physical woes, too. You know, what, what happened with the Padres uh, a year ago was just the pitching staff was destroyed by injuries. Hmm. Uh, what's different about this team is this team's pitching staff, for the most part, the rotation has stayed totally healthy. The big issue, and they don't have significant injuries in the everyday batting order, the, the big issue to me is the batting order has underachieved for the amount of money that they're paying these guys. This batting order outside of Machado is underachieved, and, of course, it's complicated uh, by by the situation with what Tatis did to himself, what Tatis <sighs> did to the organization. Uh, but these guys are still getting paid the 1st and the 15th, so go to work and see if you can make this thing go a round or two into postseason play. 
Here we got another Padre question from Neil. He says Niebla has built up an amazing pitching PC pitching staff. I don't know, but but for the most part, the pitching staff has been let down, and he hasn't fixed the issues. What say you? Well, there's a couple of things here. You've got a number of guys coming off surgeries, and that, that's a big issue. That's why some of these guys are struggling to be five-inning pitchers. Notably, like Clevenger. Notably Clevenger. Yeah. Blake Snell has always been a high-pitch count guy who would go five or six innings. That's just his trait. Uh, he, he as, as vibrant as some of his stuff is, it's still not consistent. That's the big issue there. Musgrove's a warrior. Musgrove is, is a, a scientist pitcher now. I think he's become a really student of the game. What you'll get from Joe Musgrove is you will get quality starts and you will get endurance and he will get you six and seven innings. You know, the fact that he's won only two of 17 starts since just prior to the All-Star break, that's a byproduct of not having a lot of runs around him. And Darvish is is phenomenal. He pitches so much and he has such a wide variety of pitches. I always feared that Darvish was going to break down again. But, you know, Darvish is not broken down with arm problems. His last physical setback with the Padres was a hip injury last year. Uh, I think their starting rotation is pretty doggone good. Now they got, I don't know if they've solved everything with the reliever from Milwaukee. Only time is going to tell whether Josh Hader can be what Josh Hader was. They're going to need him. But they are getting some the injured guys back in the pen. I mean, Pierce Johnson can give him a quality inning. Robert Suarez. Uh, Nick Martinez has pitched well. Last couple of outings, he's given up a run each time. That's a big issue. Craig Stammen is trustworthy for an inning. Suddenly, if those guys can be what they were leading up to Hader, then you're going to have a really vibrant bullpen that you can probably trust in a short series. So... That's where we are. I like their starting pitching. I wish they had more quality starts and innings from Snell uh, to, to, to go along. But the bullpen, if finally healthy, the bullpen can help them a great, great deal. Yeah. I mean, like you said, Pierce Johnson's looked really good when he's come back. I was, I mean, when Hader first got here, it was a disaster. But he seems to have righted the ship. Um but to your point, you're right. Snell, Musgrove, Clevenger, they're not going seven or eight innings. So can those guys, you know, line up, like get their ducks in a row, six, seven, eight innings uh, to get to Hater? If they can thread that needle, they've got a shot. I think the other factor is they can't fall behind because outside of Manny Machado, I don't see a heck of a lot of bats in that lineup that can come back from a 3 nothing deficit. So it's really critical. And the, and the wild card and all this conversation, I've said it before, we get to postseason play in a week, and that's Atlanta, or that's the Mets you're playing, or maybe even you have to play the Cardinals. Uh, there's no Baltimore, there's no Colorado, there's no Arizona. You're playing real people uh, in mid-October in the postseason. So getting, getting to the wild card is one thing, nice accomplishment, I guess. But don't go three and out. Don't get swept out of here, especially their track record, as I said, is three and 14 since Mm -hmm. 1998 in postseason play. Hey, we thank you for being with us. Hope you've enjoyed the wide variety of topics that we bring your way. And I'll remind you uh, that we're here most every Thursday for a special podcast. I'll uh, ask you to tweet email, text your friends, tell them what we're doing with Hacksaw's podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and all the audio platforms, and tell them about our website, LeeHacksawHamilton.com. Guarantee if you try it, you'll like it. John, (laughs) great to talk to you again, as always. Mm -hmm. We'll see you next week. All right. Thanks a lot, Lee. 
Join us again for Hacksaw's Headlines on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And find the audio version on your favorite podcast app. Touchdown, San Diego! For more content, go to LeeHacksawHamilton.com.